Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, that we don't have to have it all together and that as we come before you broken, as we come before you in a mess that we have made, Lord, that you give us a place to belong, where we learn how to believe. Lord, as we gather around your word this morning, we would ask that you break it small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. This morning, I would invite you, if you have brought your Bible along with you, to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As this was the reading that we just heard for our epistle lesson, our second reading of the day. Now, admittedly, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Paul's writing to the early church. And in part because, for me, this also speaks to a point in my life where things made sense through this passage. As I was in the middle of high school, I fell in love with hardcore punk rock music and what that looked like in terms of that scene. And man, I always wanted to be that guy with that sick mohawk. (laughs) Some people can pull it off. I'm not that guy. And so as I started college and I started wondering, where is God going to use me? How can I fit? How can a guy like me fit into God's plan within his church? And so I ended up on this visit day, the same visit day that I actually met my wife on. And on this visit day, they kind of divided us into similar programs with guys that we would be in class with as pre-seminary studies. And I sat across from this kid from Detroit and I looked and this kid had long hair and he was wearing a punk rock shirt and... I started kind of connecting with him because I knew we had commonality. And then he told me that he is part of a ska band, which is like hardcore punk music, but with a horn section. So that's really cool. And then he tells me he's a pastor's kid. And he tells me that all the other guys in his band all go to the same church and belong to the same youth group together. And sometimes they even get to play at youth group so that they can invite all their friends to come and listen and also be a part of knowing that this is a place they can belong. And as I'm trying to wrap my head around this, he points out this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 13. And he says, if we are out of our minds, as the NIV translates it, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. 
And in a world where everything around us is constantly being broken down and torn apart and deconstructed, where chaos is the commonality amongst us all, this idea of being out of control, being actually crazy, as we did with the kids for the children's message, crazy for Christ. It made sense. You see, the things that we do in Christ are crazy, and by the rest of the world's standards, it looks like we're out of our minds. And so as Paul writes this morning, he cautions the Corinthian church and he cautions us to consider where we place our confidence. In the very first verse that we heard from this passage, he begins by saying, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven and built and not built by human hands. In other words, we live in this tent, this temporary thing, this transient thing, this thing that is impermanent, longing for the thing that is permanent, that thing that is an eternal dwelling with God in heaven. And we know that as long as we wander as sojourners on this earth, we still have a place to call home with him in heaven. Almost as if to say, do what you will with our bodies because I know where it belongs when I die. So where we place our steps in faith are often beyond the sight of our own eyes. We don't know where that will lead us. We don't know exactly what God always has in store for us. And sometimes as we're walking through the middle of a fire, we feel like we're being burned for no reason. And so it's easy to be angry with God. It's easy to be upset with God in the middle of the struggle. And then years, months, weeks down the road, as we look back in retrospect, we can go, ah, Lord, I see what you were doing there. And I see how this experience here allows me to be a witness for you here. We walk by faith and not by sight, as Paul says this morning. You see, the validation of how we live in faith comes only from Christ and from nowhere else. Which means that we can't look to anything outside of Christ to actually say, are we doing this the right way? Am I loving this neighbor of mine the way that I should by the rest of the world's standards? Because if we measure 
By that standard, it always changes. It is of that tent, that impermanent thing that is constantly transient and changing while we look forward to that permanent place with God in heaven. And so our aim is to please God. And anything else misses the mark. And so if it looks like we are the ones in control, if it looks like we are the ones in our right mind, then that's for the world and not for Christ. Now this does not mean that all of a sudden we're off the hook for actually taking care of self-control. We're called to be self-controlled and upright. Not that we just let loose. Following Christ can feel like we're riding the crazy train and we're just waiting to see what stations we stop at next. See, I'm convinced that that's the summation of parenting. Right? You're on this train that only picks up speed as your kids get older, and you are constantly realizing how little you actually know about parenting. And how out of control we really are sometimes. And the same is true as we walk with Jesus that we have these times where we are just speeding along and we have no idea where we're going. We have no idea when we're going to stop, but we're just excited to be a part of the journey. We're just excited to be there. We aren't in control. We are passengers along for the ride. See, Paul goes to great length to actually dispel any notion of control that we have in what God does. In 1 Corinthians, he begins right off the bat and says, the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't make sense. They think it's just hogwash. And then, as Paul writes yet another letter to the church in Corinth to help guide and shepherd them in their faith, he reminds them again to be able to say, if we are out of our minds, if we are beside ourselves, then it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. It is for the rest of the world. Time and time again, the Apostle Paul has to remind his Corinthian audience and us too that understanding the gospel is not a prerequisite for actually being able to follow. Now wrap your minds around that for just a minute because I don't know where 
you came from or where you grew up, but where I grew up, they handed you the small catechism and they said, this is what it means to believe so you know how to belong. And the small catechism has great things in it. We do great things in confirmation and catechesis, and that is what the church is for. But at the same time, there is no prerequisite for having all of the right boxes checked or the answers answered or whatever understanding has to be met. You just get to belong so that you have a place to learn how to believe. The two go hand in hand. Throughout the gospel narrative, Jesus speaks and his disciples and followers have no clue about what he has just said. They're left wondering, what does this mean? The good German catechism question, was ist das? And then it says that He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We have a place to belong where we learn how to believe. So the impediments that we have to understanding the gospel don't exclude us from still being able to follow anyway. You see, this is where the broken come to be put back together again. This is where the addict and the alcoholic come to be held accountable with the law and to hear the words of forgiveness by God's grace. This is where the grieving come to be bathed in a hope that goes beyond the grave. And this is where we come out of control and an absolute mess to see who really has their hands on the controls. You see, we willingly take a ride on the crazy train because we trust in who's driving. We are compelled to acts of radical reconciliation, to set aside dead things and embrace what is new. In other words, if we are out of our minds... It is for the sake of God, and if we are in our right mind, it is for your sake. We can't live in the old when we have been made new. So when everything else is falling apart around us, our posture in faith goes against all reason and goes against the grain. And so where we should stand tall and fight, we in fact kneel in prayer. We submit instead of rebel. We repent instead of defending sin and we forgive where we are otherwise inclined to hold a grudge. Because the gospel of the day is that there's always more room on the crazy train. When we see others as common creatures with the same king, then we embrace them as fellow travelers. This means that our struggles against sin are bound up together and the difference 
between the way that we deal with conflict and the way that we reconcile and the way that the rest of the world does is the difference we have in the hope because of Christ in spite of it. And so while the benchmark for belonging is set at an absolute low, the bar to know why we have a place is as high as the heavens. So that we spend every ounce of our living in Christ trusting in what we don't have to understand. So that at the end of the line, when Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to him, no one comes to the Father except through him, That means that the crazy train is the only way into eternity with the king. And we're along for the ride. So that God always gets the glory. Now and forevermore. Amen.